So I hope you enjoyed last week's message where we talked about the joy of repentance, how repentance is not about remorse and regret and being miserable and God's just waiting for you to feel bad enough to, to, to smarten up. That it's actually about the joy he gets when we metanoeo, when we pull it together, when we get meta over our stuff and the noeo, our internal workings and thought life and emotions and all the stuff, and, and we pull it together, it brings him joy. Joy is repentance, and repentance is joy. Now, I'd like to follow up on that this week with uh, how the Lord sometimes, always, constantly is taking us through a process, taking us through a process of refining. And I'm going to be speaking from just five verses, this time from Exodus about Moses and the people of God when they arrived at a place called Mara. And God had brought his people out of Egypt, and there's been an incredible experience, and now the refining begins. In our walk with the Lord, there's often this pattern of God makes this promise, and then Have you ever noticed sometimes what he promises and what you're looking at is pretty much the opposite? I I hear a few murmurings and chuckles. Often there there is God's promise, but to get there, it's like we face the opposite for a season. And then on the other side of the opposite is the promotion into that promise. There's promise opposite or opposition, and then when we get past that, then the, then the promotion comes. If God owns a magic wand, I haven't seen it yet, especially not when he's working in my life, but that's okay because we're doing it together, and he chooses to do it with us. So, when Charmaine and I first got involved with, with, with the vineyard and John and Carol Arnott, we went through a period of, of refining because we came from a mainline denomination and we were, it was pretty much all about doing well and making sure that you were doing well and the people saw that you were doing well. And, <laughs> and then we, we fall in with John and Carol Arnott and we all of a sudden, we're experiencing love. And that kind of unsettled us and unbalanced us and we just thought okay well okay so we went through a period of where we just needed to unload a lot of baggage and luggage that we had brought with us from our from our backgrounds Um, and so we went through a couple rounds of you know prayer for the healing of the heart and the restoration of the soul and there were times when Carol, in her loving way, would just have to look us in the face and just say, better or bitter, better or bitter, what are you going to choose, which way are you going to go, better or bitter, and be like, okay. Because when you get squeezed, what comes out? (laughs) 
we got scatological enough last week. Let's not do it again. <laughs> There's a backstory to tonight's message and tonight's passage. Joseph was sent ahead of his family into Egypt to prepare a way. And man, he went through it. And he went through a whole lot of refining, a whole lot of breaking. And he came out the other side from the promise to the opposition and the exact opposite and then to the promotion, right? Into the courts of Pharaoh. Later on, all 12 of the brothers wound up in Egypt and all 70 of his relatives were there together. 12 and 70, you want to remember that. Including his father Jacob, Joseph's 11 other brothers, and they leave Abraham's promised land of milk and honey. And, but the land of milk and honey goes into famine. And there's a period of favor when Joseph was the favorite while he was in, in the courts of, of Pharaoh. And then there's a regime change. And things start going south. And the people of God wind up enslaved by degrees. There are centuries, 400 years of oppression and misery and brokenness, breakdown of the family, breakdown of their dignity, breakdown of their, just themselves as a people. And then there's this glorious deliverance. And we all love the story of the Exodus, how, how Moses showed up and, and he takes on Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh. And the Hebrew people are pried out of, G out of Egypt by God, by his intervention. And the way God does it is he escalates the tension and the stress and the pressure on Pharaoh. Now, all the way along, God knows what Pharaoh's like and that he's not going to give. But he gives him chance after chance after chance after chance and after, after chance. Say, are you going to let him go? 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 God chooses only to use enough pressure as much as it takes and no more. He's just that way, even to a Pharaoh who is oppressing his own people. Scripture even says that the Lord held his own people in Egypt under slavery because the folks the crazy ones in Canaan, where, e where Egypt wouldn't even go because it was just too wild and they were just too, too untamable. They just weren't going to go there. Even their sin had not yet reached the point that God could finally justify saying, that's it, you're done. He was having mercy on those people. So God prizes people out of Egypt through an escalation of plagues and troubles, and finally, Pharaoh and Egypt are broken, and he says, okay, get out of here. And they leave Egypt loaded with riches, with wealth, because people just, just go, take it, go, take it. And they are throwing, they are throwing riches and wealth at them as they leave. And they leave burdened down with all these riches from Egypt. And they march out, and then Pharaoh has a, he just, just cannot let it go. Just cannot let it go. He says, 
No, I'm going after them. So he's going to get them back again. So Pharaoh threatens their new freedom, and they come to the Sea of Reeds, or the Red Sea. They're at an impasse, and they're facing their old life behind them, and yet they're facing this place where there is no way, and the Lord makes a way. On the other side of redemption, there's a celebration. So they pass through the Red Sea, and Pharaoh and his, and his armies are, 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 are wiped out by the Red Sea, closing out over them, and there is a celebration on the other side. And there's singing, and there's dancing, and there's prophecy, and there's even tambourines. And they receive this amazing prophetic word. So, deliverance, celebration, prophecy, worship, praise. And Miriam, the prophet, sings prophecy over the Hebrews. God delivers them. Opposition is taken out of the picture. There's celebration and song. And it's time to move on again to Abraham's promised land. And now... They're out on their own, and they turn around, and what are they looking at? It's not milk and honey. It's a desert. So, party time is over. Now they have to face a new reality. Because after the promise and the prophetic, they are now faced with the opposite. And it's going to be a test. To get to the promotion, which is going to be the promised land. So let me just read scripture from Exodus chapter 15. If you were brave enough to bring a, a paper Bible again this year, this week. Verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Lord, illuminate your word for us tonight. How quickly the mood changes. Israel goes through this baptism through the, red, through the Red Sea. There's a celebration. And now they're going to head into a refining experience. And a testing. And a proving. And there's going to be respite. And there's going to be calling and destiny. Just as Jesus did the same. With this 40 days and 40 nights. In the wilderness. So we're going to walk through these five verses. Now, there's lots of word associations so, and symbolism. So have, have fun with this. You know, G.K. Chesterton said that 
coincidences are divine puns. And I believe that the Lord put these things in scripture as sort of like little in-jokes for our amusement and entertainment and also just, just to help get his, his, his points across. So backing up and starting again with those five verses, Exodus, 20, Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. It's not a desert, sorry, a desert, not milk and honey. Now the word Shur literally means tour. It means the kind of a tour that a minstrel would go on or a merchant, like a traveling salesman. Think of Mr. Haney from Green Acres. It also means a prostitute being on tour. It also means to go out singing around the walls, like as if you were caroling, to be singing around the walls. So the desert of Shur. So this is the desert of the tour. The Israelite tour. It also means to survey and to spy out for espionage. So they're not going straight to the milk and honey. They're going on tour. They're going to get the opposite for a little while. It's going to be a divine tour. And this happens because between that revelation and that calling and the fulfillment of a purpose, there is opposite or opposition. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. Now, these accounts are really condensed and really compressed. So we have to think about what was it like for hundreds of thousands of people all to be moving en masse and not finding any water? They hadn't been there before. They were slaves. They'd never been there before. There were no maps. There were no brochures. There were no websites. They did not know what it is that they were walking out into. So they walk out, and it's three days, and the kids are getting tired, and the kids are getting thirsty, and the mothers are starting to complain, and the dads are getting kind of aggravated because I don't know where we're going. I'm not going to ask because guys don't do that, but... <laughs> But we don't know where we're going. All they know is that they're following Moses. They didn't even have the pillar of cloud and the fire yet. And this is for three days. They're out there in the desert. And then they come to this place called Mara. When they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. Finally, they see it. They all move towards it. Ah, oh, this is great. We got water. And they get there and... They cannot drink it because it is just so foul. A place called Mara. That is why the place is called Mara. Now, the word Mara, or bitter, also means trickle. So think a trickle of bitterness. Think drip, drip, drip. Now, some of us of my, of my vintage will remember the Rolaids commercials where there was an animation for upset acid reflux, where there would be a drip, drip, drip of excess stomach acid. And then the Rolaids, oh yeah, some people are remembering. Rolaids. There is this drip, drip, drip of bitterness. So this isn't a fountain. This is not a flowing stream. And this bitterness, 
think of it as like the ick. You know, you know, just before you're about to barf, you get that little... It's just a little bit of pre-barf in the back of your throat. Okay, that is the bitterness that they're talking about. So the Lord brings his people to a place of bitterness. And now they're going to face it. It's the beginning of a process because having gotten them out of Egypt, now he has to get Egypt out of them. How's he going to do that? So this, there's this bitter water and, man, another promise and another opposite. So the people grumbled against Moses. Now, grumbled isn't just like a, a murmur. It's much bigger than that. There is blame, and there is fear, and there is pressure, and there's disappointment, and up comes their bitterness. This is not just an opinion, not a debate, not a difference of, of ways of doing things. It's not a nasty memo or even an internet troll. This is talk of transitioning leadership. The mob is threatening Moses. Remember, this is a crazy bunch of people who have been under oppression for 400 years. And now suddenly, the top is off. A lot of crazy ready to come out. The mob is threatening Moses. These are ex-slaves. They have been brutalized. Life has been cheap. They have a lot of baggage, a lot of buried issues of violence and abuse and a punishment and dominance and brokenness and breakdown and bewilderment. And now they're going to go up against Moses Egyptian style. Because that's all they've known. And that's what they have experienced. And people tend to give what they've gotten. So, where the Hebrew says murmur, it literally says, means to stop. To stay overnight and to be obstinate. Murmuring means to stop, to stay overnight, and to be obstinate. Now, there's a word picture here in the Hebrew, too. Hebrew often has these word associations. So, for instance, the Hebrew word for gossip literally translates, is literally derived from to kick from behind with the tongue. Pretty apt, right? To kick... From behind with the tongue. That's to gossip. The word picture for murmur is a donkey planting its rear end and won't move. You've seen the cartoons, right? This is to murmur. It's not just grumbling and and complaining and and customer dissatisfaction. This is... They are stopped, and they're not moving. This happens most often in the area of our relationships. And they say to Moses, what are we to drink? I don't think it was a one-liner. This is a stressed, angry mob. 
Moses doesn't have a security staff. Well, he's got a stick, but that's not, they're not the same. And their objections are understandable. They're reasonable objections. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to eat? What are you going to do? I'm not sure you're doing such a great job. So it may be reasonable that they're saying this, what are we to drink? But the thing is, when, it, when you're dealing with the issues of the heart, the issue is not the issue. It's not what she said. It's not what he didn't do. It's not the way this looks. It's pushing something inside. The issue is what's on the other side of whatever that offense was. And when we're doing our Tuesday night healing track, Healing 101, we can help you with those things. We can help you with those issues, behind the issues, because it's not about, you know, the ministries here. It's not about your boss and their attitude. It's not about your colleagues. It's not about your kids. It's not about your mother-in-law. It's about if, what, if you're getting squeezed and that's coming out, I guess maybe you should be looking at the contents of what's getting squeezed. If you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling like you're treated unfairly, if you've been set up and misunderstood, if you've been overlooked, if you've been underappreciated, if you've been abandoned and misled and betrayed and stranded in the desert and you are thirsty, God sees a deeper thing. The Egypt that needs to come out of you. It's a good practice that when you're feeling it, to ask, okay, Lord, what's the Egypt in me? What are you trying to pry out of me through these circumstances, through these people, through this person, through this organization, through this whatever it is? So the people of God are ready to mutiny. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. Moses cried out to the Lord. This isn't just Moses going behind a bush and saying, Oh Lord. The literal translation is Moses shrieked. Moses shrieked. Tension is running high. So he shrieks to the Lord. So it's okay to pour out your complaint. It's okay to get really verbal with God. Because it's there anyways. Capping it off doesn't fool him a bit. Moses shrieked to the Lord because the Lord already knows. So, this just means confession or admission to what it is and what's going on. And finally, we reach to the point where it's... And all you can do is surrender. And the Lord does this funny thing. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Shows him a piece of wood. This is not a spare two by four. The word is ates. And it means a few different things. It means 
It literally means a tree. It also means firmness, as in a really firm tree. It means from the root. It means to fasten close. There's a, a city councillor in Stratford, the city where we live, and he's a funny, funny old, old guy. And uh, in one of the city debates, there was a, an argument over the budget, and he talked about, I know this is good value because I'm so cheap, I'm tighter than bark on a tree. So that's the sense of being like bark around a tree, being fastened close, ates. So a tree, firmness from the root, close and tight as bark on a tree. Now, we don't know what kind of tree it was, but it is a symbol of the cross. This is where in a lot of our classic worship, we talk about the tree that Jesus was, Jesus was hung on. It's the healing, it's the antidote, it is solid from the root, and it is fastened close. That is the tree, that is the cross on which Jesus was crucified for us. So, the Lord shows Moses this tree. And he threw it into the water. So, Moses, as I said, is not just finding a spare two-by-four and lobbing it into the pond. The Lord shows him a tree, and he goes over. Remember, highly stressed, intense situation, and he shows him this tree. How is he going to throw it in the water? Well, he's got to get it out of the ground, for one thing, right? So he's, he's like, messing, he's just like, but it is rooted, and it is steady, and it is strong. And he finally pulls this thing out of the ground, and what does he do? He throws it in the water. Now, when it says he threw it, he didn't lob it into the water. He hurled it. Now, the verb is to hurl, as in the way you would hurl yourself, like off the end of a diving board, right? Or when you hurl yourself into the water. Or to plunge, the way a pelican just into the water throws itself into the water. It means to plunder and to strip. So Moses embraces the tree, and he, he runs, and he throws himself into the water with this tree, and he plunges it into this pool of bitterness. Sometimes it's just going to get messy when you come face to face with your bitterness from where you've been, when you embrace the cross, go whole, go all in. Go all in. No matter how messy it looks, if there's tears and snot, whatever you've faced, however it feels, whatever it has been costing you, if you will embrace that tree and uproot it and plunge into that bitterness. And the water became sweet. And the word for sweet here is mathak. It means to slurp. It means to relish. It means pleasantness. It means sweetness. 
when we embrace the cross and we like pull it close and we plunge it and we apply the cross to our bitterness, the water will become sweet. Slurpably sweet. As we apply the revealed tree, the cross, to our places of bitterness, we will become sweet. You have permission to turn to somebody and say, I wish you were sweeter. And we'll minister to you at the end of this message. (laughs) When we minister inner healing, and believe me, everybody in this room needs it, myself included, myself included, God brings us to these pools or pockets of bitterness. It's our own. Sometimes it's other people's. Sometimes it just feels like it's theirs just for me. If we will apply the cross through confession and repentance, and we can receive the forgiveness of the cross, and we can give our forgiveness to others because they know not what they do. The price that Jesus paid can turn your bitterness to sweetness and into blessing and a growth and prosperity and a real shalom peace. But you got to do it. You can't just walk around the pool. You can't just, you know, rub some leaves on your, on your, on your face. You got to get in. You got to get wet. And there the Lord made a decree and a law for them. A decree and a law. Now, the decree is an appointment, as in being appointed by by an organization or a government. It's an enactment. It also means to hack or engrave in stone. And they're going to soon have one of those experiences at Sinai. But this is the first, after their deliverance from Egypt, this is the first decree and law. And law means a statute. It just means this is the way things are going to work. Whether it feels good or whether it feels bad, it's not about being for or against. This is just the way it's going to work. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. Now, when we hear the word test, it takes us back to being in schoolrooms with rows and math anxiety and wondering whether or not we're going to get especially me, getting, get, if we're going to pass and if we're going to move on to the next grade. That's not what biblical testing is. It's not a report card. It's not an exam. It's not a pass-fail. God is not looking for a fail. Testing means to assay, A-S-S-A-Y, to prove, to attempt, and to adventure or venture. So, when, you're, uh, when you buy mining property and you know there's gold there, you have to test and assay for proven resources, right? 
So there he tested them. What he's saying is that there he is proving them. He is proving them. So he set the test. It means the proof of. It means to establish what is there. Like Abraham and Isaac when he took him up, Isaac up the hill. And he, he brought him to the point of being willing to sacrifice his own son. And God said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that, that's far enough. I'll do it first and then you won't have to. And he proved and tested Abraham. Not because God didn't know but because Abraham had to know. Abraham had to get there. It was his mercy. So, here's a statute, and this statute is a guarantee. The first one after Egypt, and it carries a promise. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, this is why one of the trading tracks is to hear God's voice as well as inner healing, to hear God's voice so you can hear clearly without the bitterness and without the filters and without all the, all the rubble and interference. And in inner healing, we apply the cross with confession and repentance, forgiveness and blessing. And if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, not being hearers only, but to love one another, I will not bring on you any of the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians. Now, when he says diseases, he's not talking about chickenpox. The word is chala, C-H-A-L-A-H, and it means worn, chafed, rubbed, to a point of weakness and sickness and affliction. That's what he did with Egypt. He escalated. He rubbed them the wrong way, and he rubbed and he chafed and he made them. He rubbed them raw until they were to the point of bleeding, because that's what it took to bring them to that place. I will not bring on you any of that chafing, that grinding that I brought on the Egyptians to get what, to where we needed to go. So God wore down Pharaoh. He escalated the cost and only as much as it would take to spring his people free. Jehovah said to Moses, I know Pharaoh is not going to give in, but I need to offer every opportunity because of my character and only do as much as it takes to secure your freedom. So I will not bring any of this irritation and grinding on you as I brought it on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, you've probably read books and heard sermons about the, the, all the names of God. Rapha literally means to mend, to heal, to invigorate. It also means lax, as in, as in de-stressed. Finally, what a relief. I am the God who brings you out of stress, out of the grinding, out of the irritation. Not the God who purifies water, the God who heals you. These were former slaves. They were abused, they were broken, they were trapped, and they were highly dysfunctional. 
But the Lord in his kindness is bringing them to repentance, to rethink. We got to start pulling this all together. We got to get up and over the history and all the things that have made you what you are. But we're going to do it together by applying the cross to your bitterness and to bring you to a point of being sweet. Is this hanging together? And because the Holy Spirit appreciates your willingness to go through this process as good catch the fire people, then they came to Elam. After that, the promise, the opposite, the opposition, and then they come to Elam. It's an oasis after the pool of bitterness that has been turned sweet. Elam literally means trees. So if you, if you had a ranch called the oaks, or um, if you had a cottage called the willows, it's just, it literally means trees. Elam, trees. A place called trees, which means oak and the strength of an oak. It means a pillar. It can also mean a chief or an elder or a leader. It also means to be entwined together for strength, like a three-strand cord, or like when you see vines and they start wrapping around each other and they're really, really tough because they're holding each other up and holding each other together. So they get to this place called of strength, of Elam, where there were 12 springs. How many brothers went into Egypt? And 70 palm trees. How many of Joseph's relatives went into Egypt? These were not just decorative palm trees. They had no time and no use for decorative palm trees. These were date palms. Anybody been to an oasis with, with date palms? When we were, Charmaine and I honeymooned in, in Tunisia, and for, for one of our little excursions, we went out to this thing out in the desert and a long uh, two or three day bus trip. And they got us up pre-dawn in the dark to sit on camels and ride through the oasis, through these date groves and out to this huge sand dune to watch the sun come up on the Sahara, which was lovely. But all of the palm trees had to be fruitful, had to be productive, not just offering shade. They had to be producing fruit. So the Lord brings them to a place of fruitfulness, nourishment, and the sweetness like dates. And they camped there near the water. So now they have fresh flowing water, they have refreshment, they have shade, they have fruitfulness and sweetness, they have rest, and they have nourishment. So, this awful situation, all this anger, all this rage, all this disappointment, all this confusion comes up, but when Moses, the leader, embraces the cross, and this is for all of us, embraces the cross and plunges into his own bitterness, and God makes the water sweet, and then moves him on to a place of refreshment and respite and care. That's the first reward. And then it's going to be on to the next desert. Yay! And there's going to be more grumbling. 
And this time is going to be for food. But they're going to find manna. They're going to get their daily bread and the Lord's daily care. Kyle, would you just come up and, and play some, some of that beautiful music in the background? So in these five verses, you can see what the Lord is up to and what he's doing with us, bringing us out of our place of, of enslavement and bondage, and there's celebration and worship, and isn't this glorious? And then there's this dry period, and it just doesn't feel like it, it, it did back then when I got saved and I first met the Lord. And now we're even going to be facing my bitterness, and it's awful, and it tastes terrible. But by embracing the cross, we can become sweet. And then we get to move on, and then there's an oasis and a rest. And then we get to continue the journey of working Egypt out of us. Between our redemption from Egypt and the land of promise, there are these moments, and they are disruptive, and they are chafing, and they are upsetting. Actually, they are gifts to us. And the Lord is being very deliberate in bringing us into those things. And it will be chiefly in the area of the way we relate to each other. Because how many have noticed, most of our problems are people problems. When we come face to face with our bitterness, where we are stuck and we are treated unfairly, we feel set up or misunderstood or overlooked or unappreciated or abandoned or misled or betrayed or stranded in a desert, then come Tuesday night and we will help you. And you will learn how to do this, how to receive this for yourself and how to give this away to other people. Now, Brandon did a beautiful job of speaking on the importance of forgiveness. But I, th I don't think it's too late. If you didn't come last Tuesday, it's not too late to get in now. Please join us if you haven't been yet. Why does God do this? Is he punishing us for the darkness in our heart? For the confusion in our mind? For the stress on our bodies? He's not the accuser. That's the other guy. And this isn't about denial. There's a, there's a strong stream within the church that says, oh, get over it. It was done at the cross. Just behave and keep moving. But that's not what the cross is for. The cross is for our transformation into the likeness of Jesus. Because it was done at the cross you can get over it and get past it. And it's the Holy Spirit's mercy to be working Egypt out of you. We all come with backgrounds. We all have experiences. We all have stuff. And it is no surprise to the Father. He knew what he was buying when he picked you. And, it was, and that stuff was embraced by Jesus on the cross when he became the curse for us on the tree so that we would no longer have to have that curse. He took it all on himself. He absorbed it all so that you could be free of it. We're just accessing what he has done for us. And with the guidance and counsel and ministry of Holy Spirit who just loves that job.
Holy Spirit loves that. Not because he's sadistic, but because he loves the sweetness and the freedom and the glory that comes afterwards. Holy Spirit knows. So you see, needing healing is not about weakness. It's about getting real. It's about having the courage to face your own pools of bitterness. It's having the willpower and the grace and the maturity to deal with ways that we have been deprived or ways that we have experienced excess, whichever way it happened for you. The disappointments, the mistakes, the bad treatment, whether it was on purpose or just by passive neglect. The upside is that when we go through this, when we go through the opposite of the glory, when we go through the opposition, then we will come into the promised land and he makes us his promise. What are we made of? Dirt. You are God's promised land. When you get healed, it releases dormant and undemonstrated faith in the power of the cross. Healing is applying the cross to our bitter places to become sweet and refreshment and nourishment for the next leg of the journey. The first time Charmaine and I went through the healing process with, with, uh, with the Arnott's, we had very different experiences. I had a very happy childhood, and so I would be upstairs in one room with Carol, and we're, we're, I'm just sharing stories, and we're laughing and, and giggling because it was so cute. It's kind of like, you know, Andy of Mayberry. It was just so, so cliche. Charmaine was downstairs with, with our dear friend Isabel having a much harder time. And I figured, oh, okay, I guess, I guess I'm all right. That wasn't so bad. And the next year, it was my turn. Anybody ever done stained glass where you scratch the surface of the glass and then you break it because you've broken the surface tension? Well, that first round for me was breaking the surface tension. And I, when I went through it a second time, because you're never done, when I went through it the second time, oh, it was my turn. It was my time. Charmaine said it was like living with a man with PMS for a year. Because my upbringing was so okay. I figured, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I wasn't okay. <laughs> Turned out I actually needed a savior. Turned out I actually needed the cross. Turned out that I wasn't okay the way I was. And God was not satisfied with the way I was. So it's his mercy to bring us into these periods of healing. And it is a joy to him when we repent and we start pulling the stuff together and bringing it to him. 